Uncomfortable Podcast, Episode 26, for February 2011. Welcome back to the Incomparable Podcast. I am your host, Dan Moore, and sitting in for Jason Snell, who is in España. Um, joining me on today's session, which is going to be about role-playing games, uh, we have quite a uh, colorful cast of characters. Um, returning to the Incomparable, Mr. Scott McNulty. How are you, Scott? I'm, I'm wielding my plus one wit. Eh? Anybody? No? Sorry. I got, I got, I, you got to have to roll for Thacko on that one. Oh. All right. Uh, also returning to the podcast from his uh, debut appearance on our video game episode, Tony Sindelar. Hi, Tony. Hi. It's nice to be here. I think we made a strict no sound effects rule. <laughs> I, I was not briefed. Uh, and for his debut appearance on our on our podcast, Mr. Jason Tossi. How are you doing, Jason? I'm, I'm okay. I didn't realize I was supposed to come up with a role-playing joke. Sorry, I, I could call you Game Master Jason Tossi. That prefer. makes me feel a little better, because otherwise I was going to make some lame joke about failing my initiative role for coming up with jokes or something. I'm still working on it over here, okay? Let that one, let that one simmer. Yeah, perfectly. Lightly. Um, so yeah, today we're going to talk about role-playing games. Not not the video game variety, but the classic tabletop, dice, pen and paper, hardcover books, the smell of sweat and fear, that, that kind of good stuff. Um, and so I, I thought we'd just start off by talking a little bit about um, how we got into role-playing games um, and you know when we started that kind of thing and what kind of games we started playing. So, um, hey, uh, Jason, how did you, you start playing role-playing games? Uh, hmm. let's see. When I was about maybe 11 years old, I think, um, I went to school with this guy named Chris, who said to me one day, would you like to try Dungeons and Dragons? Um, it was advanced, of course, the second edition, and I had, uh, I don't know that I had ever actually even heard of it at that point, um, but, um, I'd certainly read about dragons and had, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, a favorable interpretation of, of dragons, and so I figured, okay, let's try this. Um, we started with the classic "you wake up in a field" motif, um, and uh, it just kind of went on from there. So, if I said you are in a tavern right now, you would have immediately you would feel it all rush back to you. Absolutely, I am in the first chapter of Dragons of Autumn Twilight right now. I don't know what that is. I'm sorry that I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scott, how about you? Uh, I was in fifth grade, so I don't know how old you are when you're in fifth grade. I was probably 20, because I am very <laughs> stupid. Uh, no, however, whatever the appropriate age is when you're fifth, uh, in fifth grade uh, is what I was. Uh, and my friend Kevin, who actually was kind of a, a friend of a friend who was in high school, was like, hey, do you want to play Dungeons & Dragons? And he, it was not advanced Dungeons & Dragons. No, it was first edition Dungeons & Dragons. Ooh. Uh, ooh. And no, I'm not actually that old. It could have been second edition. Uh, but my friend Kevin spent an ungodly amount of money to buy all the first edition books because he thought that that was the one true edition of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> that that is definitely something we will get back to later on in the podcast. <laughs> I can guarantee that. Uh, so yeah, that that is my my first experience was, uh, and we I played with that group of people probably for maybe eight years. Um, Tony, how about you? Um, I think a pr- pretty similar story to both of you. I think I started playing in junior high school. Um, and I think I specifically, I don't think I'd played any role-playing games before our junior high school had a, uh, like a, I don't know if it was officially D&D or a role-playing game club. 
and I joined that, and um, I believe I actually played it. My first uh, game was run by Jason's friend Chris, um, if I remember correctly. He was basically rounded up to run a game for, like, all the new, like, young kids that wandered in. It's in, full dis- in the interest of full disclosure, I will say that, that Tony and Jason and I all attended the same junior high school and high school. So we, we have probably have a lot of the same experiences with, with much role-playing. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, as for me, which is, I, I think, a pretty similar story for you guys, I think the first time I remember playing was in, uh, actually, at a summer camp. Um, we, have a, we had a camp where I grew up that... Um, uh, had like let you pick all your your sort of it was kind of a little bit like a like a college setup where it was like you could pick classes and take them like a, if it was like woodworking or archery or creative writing or something or, like that or Dungeons and Dragons and one of them was Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> wow. and so I uh, I remember starting out on that I don't I think we were not in the advanced group advanced Dungeons and Dragons group <laughs> I uh, it was remedial Dungeons and yeah, Dragons you got to work your way up to it <laughs> well it was funny because there were two groups that met at the same time um, and this in the same room which is just the, you know classroom at the uh, junior high school across town and um, I remember that the other group was the AD&D group because they had the fancy books and everything and we were just using the like sort of basic Dungeons and Dragons thing um, and I eventually then acquired like there was a box set like this black box that came with um, like a DM screen and like the basic rules, a set of dice, and some little like cardboard miniature type things, mm-hmm. and had like a basic adventure. But it was really like it was the basic rules where there were like like five classes or something, um, you know, like magic user, fighter, thief, wizard, and like that. Or I don't think wizard, just magic user, cleric, something like that. And then there were like three races. Like it was really bare bones. And I convinced. Um, several of my cousins to play with me on vacation one year um, because one of them was actually an avid DVD player, a DVD player, D and D player in his own. <laughs> You're related to a DVD player. <laughs> he was ahead of his time. This was like 19, 1989 yet, or something. And yet now obsolete. Yeah. Well, he had, he had been playing for many years, and in fact, he still plays regularly. He's been playing with the same group for like twenty years, on and off. Um, wow. So, I and I'm, I'm right in assuming that we pretty much all started by playing D and D, right? I think so. I it's, think so too. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember sitting in a junior high school cafeteria, like having to roll dice to make a character, and thinking that this took a long time. <laughs> I think my my first character was a thief, and I believe he had like six hit points. Um, and I believe he died in that first campaign. I think this was back when it was more acceptable to like murder characters and dragons. <laughs> Wait, it's not acceptable to murder characters anymore. It's it's slightly you know. I mean, I think it, there there are places where it's not culturally like, acceptable. <laughs> I mean, I know you're from Philadelphia, so you it's, know. we murder each other. So, have you guys also all been like dungeon masters too? Have you run games? As of recently, yes. Yeah, uh, as of last weekend, maybe I think. Ooh. I think, yeah, but not not as a dungeon master. Dan was very was very careful to refer to me as a game master. I have ventured beyond the dungeon. <laughs> careful there are, there are dragons out there were you not playing dungeons and dragons no we were not actually but i don't know i don't know if that if that no i guess okay that's fair i rec- i recuse myself from the but dungeon I, mastering I, 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 conversation. I do want to open up this to a to a to a game mastering perspective scott have you run have you run a game as well i i have been a dungeon master a game master and a storyteller oh, oh wow. Wow. That, that sounds that sounds almost lyrical coming from you <laughs> 
Yeah, and so that's that's sort of the next question I want I want to ask, which was that you know, beyond sort of Dungeons and Dragons, which of course is it has a has a reputation as sort of the seminal role playing game. What are the other kinds of? I mean, there are lots of there are lots of RPGs, and I think probably a lot of the people listening to this podcast are probably familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, but they may not be as familiar with with other sorts of games. So I was just kind of curious what other what other RPG systems or uh, worlds have you guys have you guys played? My list may be pretty much the same as Jason's list, except that Jason ran those games. <laughs> so I have, you know, I played Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I have played Deadlands, which is a, we- a game set in the Weird West, Ooh. which is a pretty cool theme. Um, is it Return to Castle Falkenstein, or is it just Castle Falkenstein? Just Castle it's Falkenstein. Just, okay, it's Return Return to Castle Wolfenstein. Is the is the, is the, is the castle to which you return? Uh, castle yeah. Falkenstein, which is a really cool kind of steampunk um, steampunk esque Victorian era uh, game, and. Um, I have played uh, a couple, uh, I will call them unfortunate games of uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Um, <laughs> those, those can be unfortunate. They were, there was, I think, I think there was just, there was a bad mix of players and, and game masters in those settings. And um, I've also played um, a good deal of the game Inamine. So that's me. Scott, how about you? Uh, I have played uh, all the flavors of D&D, so all the editions. Uh, I've played Marvel Super Heroes. Uh, Earth Dawn. I don't know if anyone even remembers what that is. Um, I do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was shame in that voice. <laughs> well, because I have it on my shelf and I've never run it. Uh, it's, but please continue, Scott. It's, it's not really <laughs> worth playing. Um, uh, all right, I, good to know. <laughs> uh, what else have I played? I have played uh, the Lord of the Ring, one of the Lord of the Rings games. I don't know which one. Uh, Paranoia, which is a great game. Ah, oh, yes. Mm. Uh... Star Trek, Star Wars. I played Star Wars game. Oh yes, yeah. uh, which I didn't like because I hate Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I just have to say that because it makes Dan so angry. I always forget when you're on this podcast. <laughs> and I want to kick you off. You hate Scott. And a bunch of other like oh, and uh, a lot of the Palladium stuff. So I love Rifts. I played Rifts. I played uh, uh, Heroes Unlimited. Uh, I don't know. I've never played the Palladium Fantasy game, but uh, yeah, and, that, and there's some others, uh, random stuff that I played. Jason, you know, I, you? Scott and Tony actually uh, covered a lot of the ones that I, w- I would have mentioned. Um, I had a, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. Let's say a phase where um, after being introduced to D and D, where where Chris ran a game, and then actually I remember playing a game that Dan ran um, back in seventh or eighth grade or so. Um, and then, uh, another friend of ours started running games, some of the Palladium games. Like, I remember we played, uh, Heroes Unlimited. Um, I have a, a vague feeling we might have played some Ninjas and Super Spies around that time. And right around then, it, um, it was my phase of, of wanting to create games, too. So I made a bunch of basic, like, uh, D&D kind of knockoff system type games for comic books that I really enjoyed. Um, so we played that kind of thing for a while. And... After a while of trying to work on this, this what, what was what was to be my game masterpiece, my own original fantasy world that was just this intricately pieced together entire system and world. I was I was showing it to a friend of mine, John, um, who had played many more games than I had, and John said, "Well, does it does it have to look just like D and D?" And I was sort of feeling like, well, 
oh, well, what else would it look like? I've never seen another role-playing game. And so he pulled me over to a, a friend's place, and we played a game of Castle Falkenstein where, you know, there's no dice, you're using cards for everything. And it was just so far from anything I had ever seen before that this this brought me into my next phase of let me play things that are even nothing like D&D whatsoever. And so I might even throw in something in there, like which I know that, that I've, I've played with, with some of you, um, uh, The Extraordinary Adventures of Baron uh, von Munchausen, um, which is it, it's more of a storytelling game than a role playing game, but I kind of I, I kind of think of it in the same category in some ways. Not not just a great syndrome, but a great game. Indeed, um, I've been running a nominee lately. After I had I had not been playing role playing games for years, and then I did this this four hundred page dissertation on geek culture for my PhD. And when I was done with it, I was like, oh man, you know what I really want to do? I want to do something really geeky that it's not for work. And and so that's a game about angels and demons. And then I have a bunch of other stuff just kind of sitting on my shelf that I've been like thinking like, oh, I'll run that sometime. And I just never have. Like I've I've, I've got the complete rules to Eclipse Phase and Trinity, which is a, a couple of science fiction games. Um, Continuum, which is a time travel game and just a bunch of other stuff too. I think I played Trinity. <laughs> is that is that was that a White Wolf or no? It is a it was a White Wolf science fiction game in yeah, which everyone basically was some theme of psychic. And it comes in a the book is like a binder with a weird plastic cover thing. Yeah, not my favorite physical format. I've, I, I I think there's also a paperback which I kind of like better. Um, did you guys play role playing games like straight through, or did you guys take a break? I know Jason, Jason, you and I, I think both were in a similar experience where we we played a lot in sort of junior high school, maybe early on in high school, and then maybe more sporadically after that. And then I feel like after college, we probably didn't play for a really long time. I mean, I definitely got out of D&D um, fairly early on, and it wasn't until the, the most recent, the fourth edition came out, that I sort of got back into it. Did you guys have the same experience of, like, like sort of moving away from, from role-playing games, or have you guys been playing, playing them pretty much consistently since you were introduced? Well, I guess I already answered that, so I'll just add one little addendum to it, which is that I, I kind of neglected to mention that in the period, at the, at the peak of my second phase of let's play whatever I can get my hands on phase, I mean, like, I was, like, going to, to gaming conventions by myself to, like, enter role-playing game competitions and meet strangers and stuff like that, and that was a very mixed bag as an experience, um, where sometimes you get, you play a game, like I went to this, this convention called Aresia, which is a local Boston sci-fi convention. And, um, the people who ran the Steve Jackson games booth there ran this really awesome game of Tune, which is a very much like a Looney Tunes style role-playing game. And, um, and also a sort of, uh, Kill Dr. Lucky LARP, which I think, I think is the only, the only LARP I've ever participated in and was really, really excellent. And so that made me feel like, oh, this is what I need to do. I need to go to these kind of conventions and meet people. And let's just say that the rest of that year didn't really go as well, but I kept doing it until I realized maybe I don't want to be playing role-playing games that much after all. And then I just quit for years. And it was only very recently that I, I decided maybe, maybe I, I kind of missed that hobby, but I just need to ease myself into this with people I already know and get along with very well. What about you guys, Scott? Well, I, I played steadily through high school, and then I went to college, and I played maybe a couple times in college. I knew a lot of people who played D&D in college, but I never really wanted to play with them. And then they invited me to a party, which I thought was a party, but it was actually <laughs> the, uh, the other kind of party. Yeah, it was a LARPing party. and Ooh, the bad kind. Yes, and everyone was pretending to be vampires, and I was like, this is really weird. 
Uh, so I pretended to be a vampire for a little while, and then I decided that I would be a vampire who was bored with the party and leave. Um, and they didn't like that. Uh, and then uh, I moved back home to New- I'm originally from New York, and so I moved to New York, and then after a while I moved to Philadelphia, and I didn't know anybody really, so I was like, I need to meet somebody. Uh, so I met a bunch of people who play D&D, so I started playing D&D because I was kind of burnt out on D&D. Um, and I've been playing with that group for like six years now, so mm. it's it's worked out well, apparently. Tony? Hi. How about you? Um, I mean, I think it, it, it goes through cycles. Um, I think a big part of it is is who, you know, who are your friends that are, you know, around you, especially since a lot of the role-playing you do is actually, like, in person. Um, it's not something you do over the web, like video games. Um, so people being around who want to play a game, and particularly uh, people who want to run a game, since that seems to take a huge amount of work. Um, on the part of, you know, some sucker. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that the availability of said sucker tends to, you know, to oscillate. Um, so it, it comes and goes. Um, I'm not, I, I, I mean, I enjoy role-playing games, but I am not super motivated to probably go out and play them with people I don't know. Um, though I, I end up playing a lot of role-playing games. I'm in, you know, three different campaigns right now. Um, but to me, it's it's you know it, uh, the role playing games are fun and there's something I want to do with with people I know or at least friends of friends. But I wouldn't be like, you know, I've never felt like I want to play Dungeons and Dragons so much that I'm going to go find people and play Dungeons and Dragons with them. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me as very much a social kind of like activity. You know, for some people, like might have a poker night or something like that. Yeah, and l- like... L- and let's be fair, I don't I don't really care for people that much. <laughs> I think most people who play D&D don't care for people that much. That may be an overgeneralization, but I'm going to stick by it. They love love orcs. Exactly. Tony touched on an interesting point, which I think um, is the idea of, you know, most role-playing games being sort of physical and in person. Um, But there's also, I feel like, an expanding uh, amount of people playing role-playing games virtually because, say... Though you know they may not be geographically close to the people that they are used to playing with, and so for example, I'm running a group right now, which Tony is actually in, um, that is done over Skype and uses a uh, a video game system, uh, or a, sorry, not a video game system, a, a sort of a shared application in which we can see like a map and move little tokens around and have an adventure. Even though two of our party members live in Texas, one lives in Connecticut, I live in Tony and I live in Massachusetts. Um, and so it's, and it's, it's very, it's a very different experience I've found. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways a lot harder. Um, mm-hmm. and some of it helps that, or sorry, it, part of the, part of the problem is that some of our people are also very new and they have never played D and D before. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, it feels like a lot of our, our games turn into almost a video game type thing where, um, you know, it's it, you become kind of disconnected because you're just moving a little token around, and so it's, there's a lot of clicking and pointing and, and less it, of the role-playing. It suffers from a lot of the, I mean, basically the same kind of issues of, you know, being in a meeting versus attending, like, a, a virtual meeting or, or you know. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Or a, tele- I mean, a teleconference, you know. It's a D&D yeah. webinar. It is basically it is basically a D and D weapon. It sounds it sounds way it sounds way less cool when you put it that way. <laughs> I, I mean, that's what it is. The, the the software we use, Map Tool, which is is that open source, Dan? Yes, it's it's it actually is. pretty uh, pretty well put together. I'm I'm pretty impressed with it. 
I have to yeah. imagine, though, that that kind of thing would lend itself to some role-playing games better than others, because we mm-hmm. talk about a, a pretty broad range of... I mean, the fact yes. that I'm talking about uh, about uh, the adventures of uh, Baron Munchausen over here is, is something that I might classify loosely as a role-playing game. You're really you're sitting around a circle, and you're just telling stories, and then you're kind of betting each other that, like, I can make your story better. Um, yeah. And that's, that's very different from, I'm going to move tokens around in a board and, yeah. and strategize about how to, you know, attack these enemies and so on and so forth. Well, and it feels more like almost more like a war game type thing or a strategy game, Um, and I think that that's in some ways that's a shame because I really enjoy the interactions of the role playing environment, and it's hard to coax people who are new to the idea of role playing into wanting to do that when there isn't when you don't have all those visual cues, Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of our our newer players have been more hesitant to get into the whole um, you know really putting yourself in a character because Mm -hmm. of the the disconnect. And it, it takes a while for people to get used to it. I mean, the campaign I'm running has five players in it, and three of them had never played a role-playing game before. And so they 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 bring to it a different uh, expectation than, say, the other two players who are, you know, super, super hardcore nerds about it. Well, that's, I mean, and that's, it's always interesting to have a mix of people like mm-hmm. that. Um, but it definitely provides a different sort of experience, especially mm-hmm. when you, you've got a large number of people who are really, really comfortable and always want to mm-hmm. roll, roll dice. Speaking of which, I, I was thinking that there, I think one interesting thing, and it's uh, something I appreciated about one of the most recent versions of the D&D um, revamp, in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's a whole section on different types of players, mm-hmm. which, I, which I found fascinating because you... It's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. You start going through and you're like, yep, got yep. one of those. Yep, yep, got one of those. Yep. And, and I'm, I'm kind of curious. Do you guys run into these same sort of like, I mean, these, the terms, things like people like rules lawyers and, uh, you know, the, the uh, we can call them munchkins or more more polite things, I guess. People who get bored unless they're they're cracking heads. Mm-hmm. I mean, do do you guys, in your experience of role playing, like having played with different groups and different people, like find that you encounter similar, you know, styles of play very frequently, or is it really um, much more disparate than that, or what? Jason, how about you? You run a bunch of different games. Yeah, I, it's funny because you ask about this, and my, I have I have sort of two parallel responses. Um, one is, remember I said before that I, I kind of got back into this hobby because I wanted to do something that felt sort of geeky and fun that I didn't have to feel like I'm doing this as a, a sort of dimension of cultural analysis, <laughs> and so and 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 so I I don't think. I mean, how do I phrase this? I guess I've not really looked at the people I've played with in that way, especially considering that so many of the games I've played have been, you know, oh, these are my friends, and so it's much easier to think of it as, oh, and this is how Dan plays, and this is how Tony plays. But by the same token, um, I don't know if you, if you, if if any of you ever listen to any kind of like nerdcore hip hop or geek music or anything like that. But I listened to this one podcast, um, Radio Free Hipster, which comes from uh, hipsterplease.com. dot com, and um, recently the guy who put that who puts that together. Um, put together a, a compilation called 20-Sided Rhymes, which is just 20 tracks about role-playing games, basically. Um, and it's pretty fun. I've been, I've been listening to it on the way to work. And, and there's all these, uh, you know, like rap songs with lyrics about, you know, the ridiculous things that players will do. And even though I haven't really been paying attention and feeling like, oh, yeah, I'm categorizing how these people are. There's the munchkin here. There's the, this, you know, the rules layer here and so on and so forth. I'm listening to the lyrics of these songs, and I'm like, oh, my God, I totally know what you're talking about here. So there's definitely sort of like archetypes of players or shared kind of experiences of like, oh, you've played with that guy that I guess I didn't really notice until it was pointed out to me 
in lyrical verse. You often don't realize things until they've been sung to you like that. I mean, you know, there's the classic. Is it? It's the uh, Doctor Demento sketch, right? About the the D and D with the. Um, you know, where are the Cheeto? You know, like right. it's very stereotypical, and yet there there is a certain amount of truth in parts of it, and I think that's part of what makes it funny. Um, but it, it does seem like like certain you know elements of that crop up a lot. It's sort of related to that, I, I think you know we all started out in high school, and obviously high school is a very uh, traumatic place for many people, <laughs> <laughs> maybe including uh, including and or especially for you know maybe people who play role playing games. But I am curious to to know if that's shifted in terms of like you know I, I think many of us have experienced a stigma attached to it. Um, has that diminished? I, I don't know if we've gotten to the uh, point where D and D is is cool but it's not it's ironic i don't even think it's ironic (laughs) uh i mean you can be ironic playing it you can well you know it's funny actually i mentioned so i mentioned before um kind of just joking around i said i feel like i'm in dragons of autumn twilight right now that is the first book of the of the dragonlance one of the dragonlance trilogies i guess i don't know um and the reason i bring this up is because while i was doing my dissertation research i was absolutely fascinated to see that newbury comics which is a local, um, you know, music slash tchotchke slash pop culture merchandise chain that we have around here in the Boston area, was selling among its, you know, uh, its its T-shirts for local sports teams and for, you know, uh, hip movies and, and, and hip bands and stuff like that, a T-shirt that just had the cover of the, the Dragonlance rule book. <laughs> and I'm looking at this on the wall and thinking, who is this for exactly? <laughs> I, and I, I, to that, to some extent, I still don't know. I think that there's, there's, that, oh, somebody else should talk about this. You're going to get me in talking about my dissertation if you let me talk too long. Does anybody want to jump in and save us from the terrible fate of Jason? We'll, we'll, about we're this? just going to edit that out. <laughs> you never asked that question, Dan. So don't yeah, worry. We're just, we're just, we'll fix all this in post, Jason. <laughs> oh, please. Well, I think that I think certainly you know the you know geek culture and and general nerdery is more acceptable now. But I think that there's still probably. I mean, I'm not in high school now, so that's good. But and I also went to a super geeky high school, so I was surrounded by giant nerds. All everyone was a nerd, so it, it wasn't. And then the people who were in what was called the simulated games club, because that's how nerdy <laughs> our high school was, wow. were like the top. Not when I say top nerds, that makes it sound like we were running the place, but we were like the nerdiest of the nerds, <laughs> um, the, the creme de la nerd, exactly. But not in a good way. And so I think that there's just something people don't really get that you go and sit around a table and pretend to be an elf and roll dice and things happen, and but you're all imagining it. It's like a shared story. And I think people still think that's very strange. I think that Scott actually hits the nail on the head. This, and I said I wasn't going to talk about my dissertation, but I lied to you. What it really comes down to is where you divide the line between reality and fantasy. And, and, and there's still that stereotype of people who play role-playing games don't know where to divide that line. Um, and I think that we see a little bit more of people feeling like, oh, I can come out of, out of, the, uh, out of the shadows and admit a little bit that this is what I'm doing. Um, in part because there's, there's a little bit of like sort of spillover acceptance of things like World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because there's some spillover acceptance of you know just video games in general, um, which you get people saying like, well, I'm not even sure that that counts as nerdy anymore, and so forth. So you get people admitting to it, but there's still very much still a major hierarchy among 
uh, geeks and gamers and so on and so forth. When you go and you talk to like a, like a D and D player and you're just like, so do you think this is, this is a geeky thing? They'll you know nine out of ten will tell you. Um, yeah, but at least I don't LARP. I don't do live-action role-playing. And then you go and you talk to a LARPer, and they're like, yeah, but at least I don't dress up like a furry. I mean, I don't dress up like an animal. And then you talk to the people who are the furries, and they say, yeah, well, let's bring this back to the LARPers, actually. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, what's interesting about that is that I feel like there has been some... It's made its forays into the mainstream. For example, in what was just... It was two weeks ago... There was an episode of the NBC primetime sitcom Community that was entirely about Dungeons and Dragons, in which all the characters end up playing this game of Dungeons and Dragons, which, I mean, kind of blew me away in the sense that anyone would let somebody make a half an hour, like, primetime <laughs> show about people playing D&D. But it was kind of nice, too, like, to the, you know, there there. It was fairly accurate. It was <laughs> creepily it was. accurate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think that's that's fascinating to me that that I think you know if we anybody remembers, um, I mean, when we were growing up, and we're we're all around the same age. When we were growing up, there was a not just a stigma in terms of not being cool, but there was a stigma in terms of this being like like an evil thing to do. Well, that's right. true. When my mother told my aunt that I was playing Dungeons and Dragons, she was like. Oh. He's a devil worshiper. They're they're worshiping <laughs> Satan. He's not playing a game. And my mother was like, "You're insane. <laughs> he is way too much of a nerd to worship Satan." <laughs> there was a whole movie, um, I believe, called cleverly "Mazes and Monsters," yes. <laughs> in which Tom Hanks actually is in it from the early '80s. In which it's about like kids who get a little too into their game of D and D, and one of them like murders a bunch of them or something. <laughs> I mean, but this was this was not uncommon. People actually did think that there was like a satanic element to it, which is kind of hilarious if you've ever actually played D anD D, because nothing could be farther from the truth. This still shows up on prime time cop dramas and police procedurals and stuff. I mean, yeah. every season you get at least one or two shows that are like, oh, and one person took the game a little too seriously. Yeah, um, Bones comes to mind. There was an episode on that about somebody who was into medieval weaponry poetry and cosplaying who, you know, kill somebody for not appreciating it as much as him. Um, yeah, I, could, I could rattle off some more, but you get the idea. There's, there's at least one every season. I, I, I find that kind of kind of fascinating that it, it still has the stigma for so many years, but I feel like at the same way there's there are probably a lot of sort of closet... I mean, there are some closet players, there are some non-closet players. I know, Tony, um, you're, you're a big fan of, of Vin Diesel. <laughs> Who isn't? Who, who isn't? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, he is someone who, I mean, he gave a great interview at once about talking about his love of D&D. Yeah. yeah. He's, <laughs> he's down with it. Um, and so, I mean, I think you get... I'm, I mean, I'm not going to argue with him. Are you going to argue with him? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Mr. Diesel, I would never no. argue with um, but it's interesting to see people like that. I mean, clearly that's a guy with a, a very – an image that is a very macho image in many ways. And yet he is very, uh, you know, outwardly uh, confident in talking about this as, as, a, as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I see, you see some of the same thing. Jason was talking a little bit about the bleed over from like World of Warcraft, which, mm-hmm. is, which is pretty mainstream. And they did, a, they did an ad series, I believe, with several – like three or four celebrities who would each be talking about their characters, including, I think, Mr. T, if I recall correctly. I believe so. But I think it's really relevant, too, that you're mentioning celebrities here, and I think that you need to get to a certain level of celebrity before you can admit to this level of geekiness to some extent. I mean, like, take Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson is kind of an interesting example, too, just because 
there's all kinds of race stereotypes tied up in geeks and gaming and so on and so forth. But look how long it took into his career of him making a name for himself before he got to take the kind of roles that he really wanted to take. And suddenly, oh, he's playing a computer hacker in Jurassic Park. Oh, it turns out he's a Jedi now, you know? I mean, and it just, his roles just got sort of nerdier and nerdier as he went along, you know? But it takes a while before you can get to that because you kind of need to establish your Hollywood persona first. And in terms of the mainstreamness, in terms of getting back a little bit to the World of Warcraft thing, I mean, I've, I've never played World of Warcraft myself, um, but I know I know plenty of people who do, and and oftentimes people who fall outside of the typical the stereotypes. But I wanted to talk about one thing in particular, which is um, the fourth edition of D and D, which I think we have all played a little bit, um, and which some people, which has both been praised and criticized within the you know the role-playing game sphere for either being great because it opens up the 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 gaming aspect to lots of new players coming in from places like world of warcraft and then of course there's always the negative pushback in terms of people who claim that it, you know oh it dumbs it down and and takes away all the good parts of it so i was curious to know if any from those of you who have played fourth edition and especially have also played previous mm-hmm. editions like how are your feelings about that? Well, I, I think I have an opinion that people won't agree with. Um, so, I, so I'll go first. I, I agree um, with you. Whatever you're going to say, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I guess. For, I mean, obviously, games have wildly different mechanics built into them, and I mean, I know a lot of people will talk about how great a mechanic is in a game, or in, in, how lame a mechanic is in another game. But to me, I mean. I don't know. I feel like it's the social interactions and how the game is run and who the other players are that shapes the experience so much more than the mechanics. And I mean, the mechanics are still part of that, but I, I don't know. I, especially given that a game master can, you know, I, I think you can pick and choose how you want to do stuff, right? I think there's the there's the the tricky thing of looking at like your rule book or dungeon master's guide and being like, this is how I have to do everything, when really it's like this is a way that you could do stuff. You should probably figure out what you want to actually. And and I think there's also there's just there's there's a huge element of like nostalgia for the past dun- uh, D and D systems. Past so you have D systems sucked. <laughs> <laughs> negative negative armor class. Come on, you had to figure out. You have to hit higher to hit lower. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. If they can figure out a way to remove math from Dungeons and Dragons, I am happy. I'm like not anti math. But it's just another thing I have to do while I'm running a game. It's like doing math in my head. I use a, I have a, a piece of scratch paper now so I can do it easier. Um, maybe I'll get a graphing calculator eventually. But if they can invent, a, invent dice that's just like you roll it and you get like a smiley face or like a thumbs down, I'm good. And it's not like those old second edition AD&D books are going anywhere. I mean, they're still there. They're on your shelf. You can probably find more at a used bookstore. And if you have all of them, then I... That's a lot of books. Uh, maybe, maybe you want to read through them again. <laughs> it's like you could actually run that game if you were actually that kind of a crazy nostalgic creep. <laughs> but no, I want to argue. What I don't want to do is play Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. I want to argue about Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition on the Internet. <laughs> I mean, that's a valid hobby, too. I don't. I mean, arguing on the Internet is a time-honored cultural tradition that I... Well, or blah, blah, blah. Something. Honored? <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the consensus is that 4th edition is great and is the best thing since life, right? I, I love it. And anyone who disagrees is on the internet. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't jump in to say, like, oh, I think 4th edition is a huge improvement. But I will say that, I mean, I find it 
easier to, I guess it is, I mean, it, it, maybe you could say it is dumbed down. It's more accessible, it's easier to play. Let me put it this way. If you were to say to me, let's get together a second edition game, you know, for, <laughs> for gags, I would probably say, I don't know about that, but yeah, keep me posted, keep me in the loop. And then when the night comes, I tell you I'm washing my hair. But, you know, if, if you say, let's get together a fourth edition game, I might just play just to have an excuse to hang out with my friends, kind of like Tony's saying, you know? Um, but, 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 but I will say that I, I do think actually that the mechanics of a game can make it a lot more interesting. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm, I'm not really that interested in D&D anymore, is that I like playing games where I feel like there's some sort of conceptual or thematic um, connection to what we're doing out of the game and what we're doing in the story. You know, that's one thing I really loved about Castle Falkenstein in this setting where, you know, dice were associated with criminals and vagabonds, and so you would use playing cards instead. Each suit represented a certain type of uh, action that you could take part in, and so there's always a sort of, like, wonderful, unexpected moment where you'd be like, oh, you're in this situation you can't get out of, so what will you do? And then someone will pull out the ace of spades and turn out to be a social master after all. And I don't I don't know why that matters to me more than, than being able to roll 20-sided dice. I guess I just, the dice nostalgia never really sunk in with me. But 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 you can buy a pound of dice online. You can buy a pound of dice. I, I have bought a pound of dice. I highly recommend, one of the best investments <laughs> I've made. Two out of the four of us have bought a pound of dice, apparently. <laughs> so 50% of the Incomparable Podcast recommends you buy a pound of dice immediately. <laughs> it's like 15 bucks or something. And you will never buy dice again. That's true. You would be a fool not to buy a pound of dice right now. Yeah. A fool. <laughs> yeah. Go to Amazon. If You know, I don't think there's any way I can profit off this, but... Now, are we getting a commission, I was going to ask? Yeah. Uh, Jason, the commission is people's happiness. That's right. Send 10% of your happiness to us. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> well, I will, th- I will say that I have played every major version of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and I, uh, d- 4th edition is certainly the fastest and easiest to play. Like, uh, So my current game, we're playing 4th edition, and I'm actually running it. And we can do like three or four encounters in the span of three hours. And in previous editions, you might have spent three hours getting ready to play one encounter, because uh, there were a lot of rules to go through. That is that is a pretty. I mean, that's that's sort of a tangible difference in, in that amount. You know, one of the best parts of fourth edition may have just been like how crazy go nuts their marketing campaign was, such that it got like lots of people excited about it. I mean, my my campaign that I'm running right now really only exists because. A bunch of people who'd never played Dungeons and Dragons, you know, saw ads for it and were like, "We should do this. We should make this happen." Um, See there, because they, you know, they put a ton of money into advertising it everywhere. I saw, I saw a commercial for it on Hulu while yes. watching. That those are weird commercials. They're weird commercials, and I sat there thinking, like, I saw that it starts in this sort of like drawn-on graph, graph paper, paper yeah. look, and I'm staring at it. I'm going, "Is this a commercial for D and D?" No, I can't be. That'd be silly. And then it keeps going. I'm like, this is that's like a that's like a mind flare or something. <laughs> that's all that sweet Hasbro money. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say this has got to be a Hasbro Wizards of the Coast thing because it, it came right on the tails of all those Magic the Gathering commercials, didn't it? There were Magic the Gathering commercials. Yeah, absolutely. I totally stopped watching TV at the wrong time. Or yeah. something. <laughs> or the right time. Or the right time. I, I vaguely remember some kind of uh, you know audience testing commercial that involved a Herloon Minotaur. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's a that's an entirely different podcast, <laughs> which I will not be on. <laughs> you can't so. just walk away now after introducing me to magic. 
I introduced you to magic like 18 years ago or yeah, something. Yeah, well, the stain <laughs> has never left me. <laughs> oh, God. That, that number was way too high. <laughs> I, I wanted to know also if you guys had any... Um, suggestions i think we have a lot of listeners who are who are definitely into you know things like science fiction movies and books and stuff like that but maybe fewer who are into role-playing um and so i was kind of curious if you guys had any i don't know if advice is quite the right word but like enticement coaxing like anything that might um get somebody who is kind of skeptical because i think i think you know most of us can agree that there is something fun about role-playing games Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of curious as to how you might sway somebody who is a little bit skeptical um, or just unsure about giving it a try. I mean, I think the trickiest thing about role-playing games is you need a, a group that's kind of committed to meeting regularly. So maybe rather than like jumping right into trying to run a and d campaign, you play some kind of board game or something where it's it's kind of a little bit lower threshold in terms of a commitment. Um, we played briefly that... that uh, the actual Dungeons and Dragons uh, Castle Ravenloft board game, which you know I wasn't super um, impressed with, but maybe that would be kind of a a good segue into seeing what is this like a gateway drug, a gateway drug, yeah, oh. or even just a one a one shot role playing adventure that doesn't yeah. take more than a meeting. And they have the if if you're crazy if you want if you're crazy if you want to do Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> if you're insane, uh, <laughs> they came out with the the Red Box right, which is kind mm-hmm. of like a, a Beginners Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. that has pre-rolled mm-hmm. characters and includes little <clears throat> figures and has mm-hmm. easier rules than f- even fourth edition, so you can just pick that up if you're interested okay. in in uh, playing D and D. I mean, th- the trick is finding other people who are also yeah. interested in playing. Right. That is the hard part. I mean, even if you wanted to jump to playing a D and D campaign, uh, Wizards of the Coast has released the first uh, campaign that they created for fourth edition, Keep on the Shadowfell. You can download that as a free PDF from their website. Ah. I mean, I mean, role playing games are not super expensive as far as hobbies go, but you can you can get into this for basically free if you want to try it out mm-hmm. before sinking your life saving into miniatures and maps and mm. you know dry erase markers and other other stuff you don't really need. And I think that's that's I mean that's a lot on like the how of doing this. Mm-hmm. I think the the why is is kind of hard to explain, yeah. um, especially considering that those stereotypes are still there. And when mm-hmm. I try to explain what I enjoy about it, um, I'm I'm very tempted to say things that will, will really tap into those stereotypes. I mean, frankly, when we were talking before about like when we got into like role playing games and such. The first thought I had wasn't, oh, the first time that somebody ran D&D for me. It was when I, when I was a little kid and playing with my little brother and with a kid down the street and we pretended to be beating up bad guys and going on adventures and saving people and stuff. Because the, that part of like your, your sort of you know, childlike adventure brain, um, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't have to die, you know? And I feel like it, 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 the reason that we, don't, we, we stop doing that to some extent is because we know other people are watching us. And um, if, if there's a way that, that it can be engaged in, and you dress it up however you want. Um, dress it up. It's, oh, well, we're doing it using, you know, uh, figures and, and math, and so it's much more complicated and intricate and tactical now. If that's what you got to do, then call it that, sure. Personally, I like to think of it in terms of um, the, the, way, and the kind of role-playing as we like to play, too. Um, I, I like to think of it as geared toward more like improvisational acting um, than necessarily more like a war game. Um, I like, you know, just putting on another role for a little while. I like to think of it as, as also sort of analogous to just telling a story 
with a bunch of friends' help, which is, I mean, I really like writing. I really like storytelling, and I feel like you get together, and it's potentially free, as Tony said, and yet you're getting a better story than what most Hollywood movies are going to give you. And you get to feel like you help make that story, um, which is something that, you know, computer role-playing games and video game role-playing games can let you do, too. But they're so restrictive compared to what you can do with just improvisational thinking among your friends and such. Um, so that that's, that's my why, I think. I, I think I agree with that, and I, I really... Personally, I love storytelling as well, and I do a lot of writing. But, you know, there's definitely a point where you feel totally tapped out on writing and you're staring at a blank screen. You're just frustrated that you can't tell a story or it doesn't go fast enough or whatever. And so having that element of being able to sit around with a bunch of friends and tell that story and not having, like, the feeling stymied in terms of, like, oh, God, I just can't think of what's going to happen next. Like, things sort of get pushed along with or without you, and you have to adapt and, and react and things like that. I find that really appealing and i and i agree that there there is a, a large element of improvisational acting to the role playing elements of the game and so you can sort of it, it's a nice mix between that and something that's just like a board game which mm-hmm. engages a different part of your brain it makes you think about strategy and tactics and you know it's nice to be able to take a break when you're playing D&D and maybe it's like all right you got like uh, you know a few minutes of like rolling dice and thinking about numbers and looking at your little sheet and everything and then you know maybe you know 15 20 minutes of like oh now I'm going to have to like interact as this character and and there's a lot of different parts of your brain that get in- engaged by that which I I really enjoy mm-hmm. Maybe that's because I'm a loser. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it's interesting that my girlfriend, um, I was I was trying to get a sense of what people like about the game that I've, I, I've been running on and off for like the last several months. And so I, I asked, you know, Tony, what are you getting out of this? Dan, what are you getting out of this? And I asked my girlfriend what she gets out of that. And she said, I just like seeing you act really funny and playing different characters. And so like she basically just shows up because, you know, other people she is, is uh, friends with are there and... Um, one of them happens to be her boyfriend who goofs off completely. Um, so I feel like that social element is, is such a central part of it too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, one other question I want to ask sort of as we're wrapping up here is, do you guys have a favorite, like a memorable character or like a favorite character that you've played at some point in the past, either from, you know, like a story perspective or whatever, just in terms of something you really liked about them? I do have a character. Uh, I played this character who was a drow elf. And if you're not familiar with the Dungeons and Dragons setting, drow elves are um, evil. Spooky and elves. Spooky. <laughs> and they live... They prefer, di- they prefer dire elves. <laughs> they live underground and they have magical cities and they worship spiders and it all makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so I played this... So he was an archer who was blind and chaotic evil. <laughs> and uh, I played him for many years, and through the course of... Is that really is that really a character? Isn't that just kind of a manifestation of yourself at this point? Well, it's true. It's just it's the other part of me. Um, and at one point, our party had a paladin in it, and if you don't know what paladins are, there are, you know, these, these exemplars of all that is good in the world... And, in fact, they can detect evil. And if they find evil characters, generally they don't want to associate with them. So for whatever reason, the person playing the paladin did not uh, ever do anything to me. But my character uh, plotted to assassinate the paladin. And I did, in fact, (laughs) kill the paladin. And then throughout the course of our adventure, uh, we came across some treasure. And the DM kind of nonchalantly said, oh, and there are uh, many 
platinum bars, which is what you would take if you were an evil character. So I, I had a bag of holding, <laughs> and I took all of the platinum bars, and uh, I had so much money that the DM was like, you have to do something with all this money, and you can't buy magic items. So I built a castle and hired an army, <laughs> and I invited the rest of the characters to come to my castle, and I had my army kill them. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, do you still have friends after that? <laughs> I, well, that was when I was going off to college, so I was like, ah. <laughs> you guys, I'm not playing with you guys can anymore. I'm going to cut those ties. Kill you all. That's that's pretty mercenary there. Wow. Yeah, I got I got nothing like that. I don't want to follow. I care about my friends. It's really <laughs> it's really holding me back as a player. <laughs> I was role playing. I, I was chaotic evil, man. I, I have to admit, I don't I don't think back to any character I ever played as one that I found particularly interesting or, or I mean you know I, I have I've had fun playing, but when you ask me about like my favorite character I've had a chance to play, it was actually one of the non-player characters for. Um, for the Anomine group that we've been playing in, and not really because of what I did with it, but what because of but because of my players did with it. Um, this character, his name is Andros Arganos, <laughs> um, who um, I mean that's not Pop- really... commonly known as Andy. Yeah, and I mean he isn't. His name's not really Andros Arganos. He lives in West Philadelphia, and he would like to be a, a sorcerer someday. Um, and he was basically just put into the game to be comic relief as, you know, this, this perfectly mundane human who's constantly hanging around and haranguing the player characters, trying to get them to take him along on adventures and stuff that would definitely be detrimental to his health and just constantly just being underfoot and just put him, to put him in there basically to, to, to have a laugh, um, and um, maybe to get him killed eventually, and, and <laughs> as, as sort of whoa, a, whoa, whoa, whoa. Spo- spoilers. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Ah. I will, but that's that's not what happened. The the day that he was going to potentially get killed um, is is kind of when I actually started liking him as a character because um, one of the players basically um, shocked him into fainting and said um, essentially, you know, this is what this is really. Da- here's a decapitated head. <laughs> Um, this is really dangerous. What we're involved with, um, it's you should you should really get away. But if you're really committed to helping us, then just be aware of what this is what you're getting involved with. And putting it in that, it didn't actually occur to me that he would be invited in in that way. And and that's what he had been looking for. So I was just kind of like, all right, I, I guess he'll take it. And he ended up actually growing as a character, which is something I never actually even intended for him. Um, and so I, I guess I like that character as someone who. Um, sort of represents that sort of collaborative aspect of storytelling that, like, if it hadn't been for what my players were doing, then things would have taken a completely different, a, a completely different turn. It, it's just, and I, I mean, he's still going to be around for comic relief, but, you know, pro- probably I won't kill him now. <laughs> <laughs> that That is a relief. I mean, but it's cool to have somebody develop, and I, I think very similarly about, like, TV shows I like, where, you know, you start with a character who might be a little bit off-putting or... Um, sort of comic, and then and then develop surprising death, depth, or death. <laughs> if, it's, yeah. if it's bad, uh, I can't talk tonight. Um, there, but you know, I think if there, Buffy's a great example of many. Mm-hmm. Of, there are a lot of characters who start off as kind of annoying comic relief characters who also who actually develop these really, you know, other you know other sides of their characters that really show off the dramatic angles and whatever. So mm-hmm. it's cool when that happens in a game that's sort of improvisational. Mm-hmm. Tony, did you have a, did you come up with a character? Did I give you enough time? Uh, you know, maybe Mike. The characters I play are just, are just not 
or two, two, uh, one dimensional. Um, I, cause I tend to remember the stories, um, that take place in the adventure more than my characters. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of amusing when you play, I guess maybe, I, maybe there's a little Scott McNulty in all of us when you play a character <laughs> that is antagonistic, um, toward, toward the group. I mean, there was like the game of dread where I would play the, like basically drug addicted doctor who, you know, Oh Yeah. And I, I played him as a drug-addicted doctor. He wasn't very reliable. Um, he, he had issues. He had a bookie he owed money to. Um, and, I, and, you know, other players found that frustrating. Um, and in the uh, one of the games of Anomaly I played, I played a uh, an angel who was basically like the narc of angels. And he was, you know, it was his job to go around and, like, make sure the other angels were, like, you know, keeping it clean and not swearing and stuff. And one of the other players would, like, want to murder people all the time. And, and my character would, like, like shake his head and he'd get really pissed off. Um, so, so that's basically like buying a castle and hiring an army to have all your friends killed. <laughs> Pretty much. So it's a step down, but yeah, close. You could work yeah. up to it. But I mean, I, and, and I guess perhaps it, perhaps it's unfortunate, but it's it's fun to play a character that other players react to a little bit. Um, though perhaps it doesn't always have to be in kind of a an obstacle antagonistic kind of way. Um, because I, I have you know there are games I've played with other people where when somebody creates a character that becomes like a bigger problem than whatever the problem you're trying to solve is, that that can be a little frustrating. Well, I think, yeah. I think it's kind of, it's fun for me when that happens <laughs> as I'm a player or if a, a DM, because role playing is so much about cooperating. Yes. And whenever you have something or someone, a character that doesn't cooperate and kind of breaks that kind of trope, it makes it a little more interesting for me and probably frustrating for everyone else, but just, I find it interesting. The, one of the more frustrating experiences in my ill-fated Vampire the Masquerade um, games, one of the characters, one of the other players was playing a character where, like, his thing would that he he would go into like a murderous rage and kill lots of people, and then like come out of it and not remember anything, and like. <laughs> Like, we spent three game sessions in a row where all we were doing was hiding bodies of people that this guy had killed. Like, we, 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 like I mean, there was, like, an ongoing mission that we were supposed to be addressing, but no, we were, we were busy, like, cleaning up after this guy all the time. And it's like, you know, you hide three bodies, it, it loses a lot of its charm at that point. <laughs> I think that is the cutoff. And, three bodies. And, and, and especially, you know, the, the player would sit there smugly, like, laughing at all of us as we, you know, scramble to clean up the chaos he has created. I'm just saying, you kill somebody, you don't pitch it on, on hiding the body. What kind of vampire are you? Yeah, but at least that makes a good story. I think I'm more I'm more <laughs> inclined to forgive the player who's being a jerk for the sake of making things interesting than to forgive the player who is completely unintentionally derailing the game by obsessing <laughs> over rules. I, I mean, rules lawyering is is my least favorite form of person. <laughs> Hitler was a rules lawyer. That's what I'm saying. Oh, oh. wow, Godwin's law. Wow. Oh, I'm just saying. Oh. This week, <laughs> I mean, we had we had we had a, a player in this this anomaly game. Good, dear, dear friend of mine, who's no longer uh, allowed to play, no longer allowed to play the kind of angel who, who possesses people because our our meetings became this this sort of tedium of all right, all right, all right. So I've got two pigeons, and I've got this guy who's a drug dealer, but it's it's in my nature to leave him in better shape than I found him in. So Dan, 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 you got to give me fifty bucks as if the guy had a good day selling drugs because I need. <laughs> yeah. let, let, let's talk about what it's like to live life as a drug dealer. How are my pigeons doing? <laughs> exactly. And so, the, and this is what our this is what our adventure became was <laughs> taking care of pigeons and drug dealers. <laughs> uh, that was that was definitely not what I signed up for. <laughs> When I when I signed up to be an angel, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Um, I was gonna, I was gonna cheat a little bit for mine, which is that uh, this was a character I played in an online game, a role playing game, oh. um, which was a Star Wars based. Oh, game. even worse! I've, I've totally made. Yeah, I got Scott really uh, riled up over there. Was it an Ewok? It was not an Ewok, <laughs> sadly. Um, no, you see, he was a, uh, a sort of a smuggler um, mercenary type. Of course, who had he was. Helped a. Uh, <laughs> But in, in, in yes, everyone's laughing because I play. I tend to play the same types of characters. I'm very unoriginal, um, and so in this particular character had uh, signed up to help a a imperial admiral defect in the game, and he managed to you know get this guy out, and you know thought life was going fine until uh, one day when he uh, was walking down the street and got into a. Uh, sort of discussion with this uh, someone else, and then this droid started suspiciously coming over. So, being the suspicious type, he shot the droid, which turned out to be full of explosives, and actually died. Um, and I was I was very sad that he died, oh. and I could not believe that I had actually had a character totally just killed in front of my eyes. And it was um it was it was a pretty pretty moving experience for me. I uh, I shed a oh, tear. Character deaths um, can be, as a person who's caused many of them, can be <laughs> a traumatic experience. <laughs> I mean, especially in a game system where resurrection is not nor it's not like, well, he's dead, but there's enough pieces of him left that we can haul him back to the healer. Yeah, I mean, it can be very permanent, like, you know, and, and when you've spent a lot of time and invested a lot of time in building a character that then, you know, through for whatever reason, it just doesn't make it out. Um, I think, you know, it can be very it can be very affecting. Um, if anybody's listened to the, the Penny Arcade podcast. Yeah. Um, in which they do a role playing game. One of the one of the main characters dies after being trapped in a pool of of sentient acid. <laughs> it's very sad. Worst kind of acid. And he's very angry. <laughs> he, he was angry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know that that that's definitely when you you invest a lot of time and 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 emotion in building your character and turning him into a real fleshed out person. And then you throw and, it all away by walking into sentient acid. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something we can all learn in that. Stay away from sentient acid, kids. <laughs> We've moved on to the PSA yeah. portion yeah. of the show. Use the buddy system, for goodness sake. Don't split the party. Split yeah, the party. really. I, I, I will say, in, in the, the words of Scott McNulty, this podcast is over. <laughs> Or more or less over. Um, well, we, we've, we have pretty much re- reached the end of our allotted hour. Um, so I want to thank you guys all for, for joining me and being willing to talk about Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, yes, I am going to be distorting your voices and changing your name so nobody actually knows who you are. Thank you, uh, Tony. You're welcome. Anytime. Thanks. Jason Tazi. Thank you for summoning me, Dan. And, of course, Scott McNulty. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time. Ta-da! Then the other Dark Sun campaign that I played, uh, once again showing my twisted nature, I had all of my players, they were very excited to play, because this was Dark Sun 2nd Edition, first came out, it was like nothing the in, that, that I guess TSR at that time had ever done before. So we were all very excited, spent hours making up characters and giving equipment, and at that, in the first edition, well the 2nd edition Dark Sun, you started off in third level because it was so difficult. Yep. So they, they spent wow. like hours creating their characters and coming up with the perfect equipment, and I said, okay, started the adventure. Uh, they were all, you know, whatever, doing something in a city. And I said, you're captured by slavers and they take all your stuff. 
<laughs> we hate you, Scott. <laughs> it was awesome.